Hello and welcome to Inside Music, episode number 107. I'm your host, James Shotwell, and it's great to be with you again. I know there have been a few weeks since the last episode of the show came out, and I apologize for that, but I've been traveling the country, gathering conversations and stories to share with you in the weeks ahead. I don't want to get into everyone who's going to be on the show, but let me just say that if you're a fan of alternative music, April is going to treat you well as long as you stay tuned into Inside Music. On today's show, I have my good buddy Clayton coming through, who might be better known to some of you as Cell Dweller, or perhaps Scandroid, or even still, Circle of dust. Clayton has been working in the electronic side of music for over a decade now, and he's been able to establish a career and empire for himself that is entirely his own. But it didn't come easily. Clayton had several bad record deals come and go before he ultimately decided to take matters into his own hands, as so many independent artists today are trying to do, and he found a way to make it work. Today, Clayton not only owns his record label, but he also controls the production of merchandise, his merchandising altogether, licensing, touring, production, distribution, everything that you need to have a career in music, Clayton now controls under the roof of his own brand, and that is why he is on the show today. I'm a fan of Clayton's music, and I think he's great, but even more importantly, I think he's a great lesson in how to persevere in this crazy thing we call the music business. Clayton and I walk through his early days, how he ended up being a Michigan resident for the better part of the last decade, and then we dive into the good stuff that artists of all sizes should definitely tune into. We start talking about how to start getting the pieces together to have your own empire and how to lift yourself as well as the other artists you believe in up through it over time. Clayton has fans all over the world in countries he's never thought to promote or perform in, yet every other week he runs an Ask Clayton column on his YouTube channel that receives questions from people who are fiercely devoted to his music. He doesn't exactly know how all of this came to happen, but he does know that he did all of the groundwork needed to build a strong foundation upon. And that's what we're going to talk about in this episode. How do you become the kind of artist that can be successful without needing to rely on radio or the industry at large to deem you worthy of being considered a quote-unquote star? A big part of this for Clayton is licensing, and that's going to play a big role in the conversation, which if you don't know is basically getting your music in films, video games, television shows, and all forms of advertising. You've probably heard Clayton's music several times and never even known that it was him. His music has been used to sell the film Deadpool, the upcoming Transformers title, and was even used in a Super Bowl campaign. That's right, the Super Bowl. Hundreds of millions of people watched the Super Bowl, and yet Clayton is not necessarily a billboard chart topper. He is a full-time musician who runs a record label with multiple artists, performs all over the world, and works on projects larger than anyone else that has ever been on this show, yet most people probably don't know his name. And he's okay with that because he doesn't let ego get in the way of what he really wants out of life, which is just creating the music that he's passionate about. Before I get to the conversation, I do want to tell you a few quick things, namely that this episode of Inside Music and all episodes of this podcast are only made possible by Holix, the music industry's leading digital promotional distribution platform. And what that means is that Holix works with industry professionals from all over the world to share new and unreleased music without fear of piracy. For access to Holix and a free 30-day trial, visit holix.com. That's H-A-U-L-I-X.com. I also want to encourage you to check out Clayton's work. His website, K-L-A-Y-T-O-N.info, has everything you need to know about all of his projects, his label, his whereabouts, and everything else going on in his life. We're going to talk about that at the end of the episode, but I figured I might as well plug it right now. I also want to ask you to follow the show on Twitter, at Inside Music Pod or at Inside Music POD, where we post updates on who's going to be on the show, as well as a slew of articles related to navigating and finding success in the music industry. 
Now, this is a big conversation. It lasts about 40 minutes, so I don't want to take up any more of your time, but I do want to play you a little bit of Clayton's music to get those unfamiliar with his work, a little bit caught up to speed with what's going on in this conversation. And then we'll get to Clayton. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show. the other day because i was gonna try to do this in person when i was just in michigan and james oh yeah james had been like oh he lives in he lives in detroit and then when he sent me your address i was like james clarkston is not (laughs) clarkston is not detroit (laughs) no it's not in detroit i mean i it's changed it's got there are more people that live in detroit but when i first moved here man nobody lived in detroit (laughs) everybody pretty much lives in the burbs outside of detroit but it's starting to actually repopulate which is kind of cool i mean i'm not from here i'm a new yorker so I moved here just out of circumstance, so I'm not really like loyal to any anything here. But it's cool. I mean, I never leave my studio anyway, so it doesn't really matter where I live. So, what brought you to Detroit then? Um, long story. I I, uh, I ended up getting a really big record deal finally in my career, uh, <laughs> really big, and I ended up paying off all the debt that I put myself into to get that record deal. Um, because back then that was the only way I knew how to do it was you needed to get a deal, <clears throat> and um. Partway, I wouldn't even say halfway, but partway through that process, uh, the label went belly up and they decided that I I was the only artist they had signed already. And they basically hit me back and said, um, yeah, we're not going to release your record. We're going to negate the contract. And by the way, we're going to we're going to need all that money back. So I instantly went from paying off my debt and finally feeling like I was moving forward in my career to being back to being completely broke. So I had to fin- I had to figure out how to finish the album myself. And I had a friend, uh, Grant Mormon out here who just built a studio and he basically needed a guinea pig to work out the bugs. So he gave me a really good rate. So I came out here, uh, and, um, started working and, you know, he and I have been really good friends, but we became much better friends, like working for a long time on the cell dollar record. And I think I just needed to change, you know, everything, everything I, I, I knew was in New York, all my friends, my fa- my family had mostly moved from there. I only had a handful of friends left and uh, I think I just needed a change. So I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to move to LA. So I'll stop in Michigan because it's way more affordable and then I'll save some money to buy a house in LA. And so I moved um, and uh, realized in the short interim that I was in Michigan that I really just don't like LA at all. And I really don't ever want to live there. So um, I decided to just stay because it, again, like it doesn't really matter where I live. I could, I could live in Alaska. As long as I have an internet connection, I can do exactly what I'm doing right now. So, uh, I stayed here and I basically grew my company here and I have a home base in Iowa too, Burlington, Iowa, which is another random place. But again, it's really affordable and, um, I've got a pretty big, you know, a pretty decent sized crew, uh, as far as the label and the business is concerned that I built over the years and it's working. So this is where I'm at. I uh, I share that I f- share that feeling about New York and LA, but I, I was just in Los Angeles in January, and it reaffirmed. Like in three days, I was like, "Yeah, I just couldn't. I just couldn't live here." <laughs> yeah, it just yeah. I mean, I think I think me being a New Yorker makes LA just 
less glamorous. I'm, I'm just, I have an East coast mentality, man. I'd rather somebody just tell me like it is just, you don't like me, say it right to my face. I can handle it. You know? And I felt like on the West coast, I was meeting a lot of people that are just like, everybody's out for, I don't know. And that's not an overgeneralization. I, I definitely know a lot of people in LA that I love and I think are great people. I just, I don't know that I could live in that environment. I, it just, my New York mentality just kind of fights the whole vibe. I love the weather but I hate the traffic and, 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 and some of the other stuff that I, that I've experienced out there. So it's not enough of motivation for me to want to, to want to live there. Yeah. I lived in, I lived in Boston for about half a decade and I, f- I feel similarly probably about how you feel about coming from New York. It's like, I was in Los Angeles and I was like, these, it's just, it's not my people. It's not, right. not exactly. my vibe. <laughs> it's a different the East coast has a different, it just has a different vibe, you know, and they probably feel very people that I know that grew up on the West coast. They look at, at the East coast, like, wow, you guys are, you guys are crazy. Cause we're always high strung and we're always on the move. And, but that's just how we grew up, you know, just like, you know, you're just a product of your environment. So. Yeah. Ever since my wife and I moved to Minneapolis, I, I find, I mean, they had this thing here in Minnesota. Nice. You might know where everyone's just like, they kill you with kindness, even though they're very angry with you and coming from the <laughs> East coast, I prefer just to kill you with anger. You know? with <laughs> anger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. Just let me know, man. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Burying my, you. burying my road rage is like the hardest part of moving out here. Cause in Boston, yeah. it's just like, you know, you hear horns and people screaming profanities at each other daily. Like it's part of, it's part of the life Yep. <laughs> out here. Not the case. Just oh. smiles, just smiles yep. and accents. while they're flipping you off, you know, under the dashboard, you know? Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Their face yeah. says it's kindness, but you know, yep. <laughs> um, so how long have you been in Michigan then? Uh, probably about eight years or so, which is way longer than I thought I was ever going to be here. Um, so yeah, I, I've, I've been here for eight years. Like I said, I've, I've built my own studio, which is the, the place I most love to be in the entire world. And I'm really completely self-sufficient. Um, and I, I don't think I'm going to be here for forever. In fact, I don't, I don't know that I'll be here for much longer. I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about, uh, relocating. I just can't decide where that's going to be yet, but I know it's definitely going to be West and warm. So, but, but not LA and probably not Vegas. So I, I don't know. Some, somewhere West is what I'm thinking, mm. but who knows? I mean, I never say never. I, I don't really know where I, maybe I'll be here for another 10 years. I, I, I don't know. Well, you are pretty self-contained in that. Like you just kind of take everything you do with you wherever you go. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've built an infrastructure really to support my own career. And that's how I ended up creating fixed, which is my record label, because I was building all these things to support my own career based on all of the failures that the record label system has dealt to me. I mean, the one bad deal that I explained right at the top of this, this interview was only one of a number of bad deals that I had been in. Uh, you know, so really they should have all been career killers. They should have just ended my career. I should be doing something completely different right now because I should be looking back and being like music failed. It didn't work, but I just, uh, I was too dumb to quit. I, I say that all the time and it's true. I was too dumb to quit. I, I, I just, if I was smart, I probably would have been like, okay, this isn't going to work out. I got to, I got to do something more, uh, more rational and more reasonable uh, instead of just continuing to starve and, and pushing forward. But it's just in my nature, man. It's like in my DNA, I, I'm not gonna, If I want something, I'm going for it and I'm not going to give up regardless of everyone around me saying, you should probably, you should probably give up <laughs> because you know, that was, that was part of my, uh, that was part of my, my path. I mean, my friends and family saw me struggling and starving for years and were like, you know, you really should think about 
something else. And I was like, well, cool. You, you can do that, but I'm, I'm going to keep doing this. So I, I've built, I've built, you know, off of those failures and having to survive and trying to figure out how to survive. I built an infrastructure that supports not only me, but now other artists on my label. And so I can, I have the flexibility of getting up and going anywhere I want to go. I have distribution. I know how to manufacture merchandise. Um, I, I can handle all of it. So, um, yeah, it, it, location is really, it doesn't bind me. Like I'm not, I'm not tied to an area and all the relationships I have, all the work I do in Hollywood, it didn't matter if I was in New York or if I was in Detroit or like I said, Alaska, I could probably be in and, and I still can do the same work. As long as I have an open internet connection, I'm good. So was it that, that deal at the top that kind of led you to Michigan? Was that the last, I guess the last straw before you really were like, I'm going to take this all into my own hands because you, you, you have really made a whole empire that's kind of you all you control all the pieces which is kind of the ideal scenario um, yeah was that was that the starting point of that movement or was there another deal down the line that you were like, okay i have to do this myself no that was that was the big uh that was the big um catalyst was was that, that was the final catalyst how about that like i think some of this was put into motion before that deal but i was still in a position where i couldn't really like i had i had self-released uh, some content before I had gotten that deal, mainly just, you know, I, I was, I was really pushing hard on mp3.com. If, if anybody remembers that site, but back then I was piss broke and even a few hundred dollars in advertising money that, that they would pay out to the artists helped me pay my rent for the month and stay alive. So I was pushing all of my traffic to listen to my music for free on mp3.com. So I was one of those early adopters that was like, I was embracing the internet because it was like, it was enabling me to do what I wanted to do. So I was telling the world, go listen to my music for free, knowing that mp3.com based on how much traffic I sent there would pay me a pittance in advertising, you know, based on how many streams I got. So I knew I would be getting at least a few hundred bucks a month. And that's literally what it was. So, um, I had been building up to this idea of figuring out how to do some things on my own. But when, when a deal like that had come along, which was the first real major record deal I had ever been, I, I'd, I'd ever gotten, I've been in a lot of big record label offices and talked to some really big wigs um, who told me things I wasn't interested in. They basically were like, we want you to sound like this, uh, this other artist on the radio. If you basically sound similar to them, then we'll sign you. And I, I would just get up and shake their hand and be like, well, thanks for your time, but no thanks and, and leave. I, I don't, I don't care. I'm not interested in being another artist. I just, I want to be me. So I, I already, it was already formulating in my mind that I needed to find a path to do what I wanted to do because it was clear to me that the system that was in place wasn't going to help me. They weren't going to, there was no handouts. Nobody was going to help. So what do I do? And, and some, somehow I ended up getting, um, getting this deal. And believe me, I hustled for it. It wasn't like a, 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 you know, it wasn't like somebody just found me online and said, "Hey, we want to give you a bunch of money." I mean, my manager and I at the time we were hustling. I was making, you know, I, I made a four or six song EP or something that I had recorded in Detroit with my friend Grant. That was the first time I was here, and then I went back to New York where I lived, and we started shopping that, and that was how I ended up getting this deal. So I was in New York during this whole deal thing, and then when that fell through, is when I actually. Uh, picked up and moved to to Michigan, and that was the last straw. Yeah, that 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 deal, that big deal falling through. You know, me getting out of debt in a way that I've never been out of debt in my entire life. Um, to going back into debt in a worse way than I'd ever had been in my in my entire life. Uh, really put a perspective on it for me, and I was like, you know what, I have to I have to do this myself because no one. I mean, we we I, like we even tried 
to pass this deal off to other major record labels. So the, the label that I had signed to had me doing showcases for other major labels to basically sell off my contract to them and none of them were interested. So I was doing a dog and pony show for all these other execs, which I hated because I couldn't care less about wanting to, uh, uh, how do I say this kindly? I can't say it kindly, so I won't say it. So I, I was just doing things that felt disingenuous. I didn't want to do these things. But really the label had me by the short and curlies because they're like, you signed, we gave you money, you have to do this because we have to sell this contract off so we can make our money back. So I did it, nobody went for it, and they were basically, okay, well, nobody else picked it up, so you actually owe us the money back. Um, so I spent years actually uh, having my, my wages, so to speak, garnished. Every, every dime I made, uh, a pretty large portion of that went back to paying off debt. So um, I continued to be broke. I continued to uh, to to you know, head down this road that most other artists, I think probably would have just been like, uh, yeah, maybe I should, I should just give up right here. But I, I kept going and figured out how to create my own CD, a full length CD. I finished the album with my friend Grant in his studio at the Method House, um, put together my own tour. And I just started, uh, figuring out how to, to, to build it. I mean, I have been building it for years, but I had to build it in a different way because I, now I was embracing the fact that I was going to be completely independent. And, and so it was, and that was, I, I never looked back. I thanked God every day that I never sold off my publishing, that I never signed a merch deal, that I didn't sign a big contract that stuck because I might've been in a situation where I was tied up, um, contractually and couldn't do anything. Uh, and, 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 and on a label that wasn't willing to do anything for me. I had already been there. That was an earlier record deal that I didn't even talk about that, ha that happened to me. It tied me up for a year and a half and almost killed my career again. But that's, that's a whole different story that I, that I won't bore your, uh, your listeners with right now. But believe me when I tell you there were, there was more than one failed deal in my history. So at this point, what, if any third party deals do you have? I mean, do you have a, like as distro or licensing? Do you do either of those yourself? Yes, yes, all of the above. I, I have a partner in uh, in licensing who who was my manager at the time um, at at Position Music, and um, they represent me for film, TV, and I do some uh, some some licensing stuff directly as well. Um, distribution, we've got that on lockdown. We've had that on lockdown for years. So manufacturing of not just not just CDs and the music, but the merchandise and everything that comes along with that. Um, vinyl, cassettes, I mean, you name it, shirts, uh, any kind of merch that you'll find at fixstore.com, uh, which is F-I-X-T store.com. That, that's where, that, that's my label and that's where you'll find all of my, my music uh, and my projects and the other artists on my label and you'll see what we're capable of. So I've got that on lockdown. Things like streaming, again, like I had embraced mp3.com early in the day, um, and I have always valued streaming. And, and, and in light of the Taylor Swifts of the world moaning and groaning about not getting paid, well, that's fantastic, but you've got label money and you're selling millions of, of albums or whatever you're selling. Congratulations to you, but that has nothing to do with my career, and your opinion doesn't apply to my career at all. So I'm in a position where Spotify is the number one revenue stream online for me. As far as streaming, it has eclipsed iTunes. In fact, it's more than double iTunes as far as revenue is concerned. And I embrace it. I send people to Spotify and be like, hey, yeah, you don't want to buy my music? Go to Spotify and listen. There you go. Or you can find it at fixstore.com or you can go to Bandcamp. You can go to iTunes. It's available everywhere. So I built all of those infrastructures, all of the distribution, both physical and digital, um, because I, that's what I needed to do. I mean, there's no, I have, there's no outside, there's no outside, outside help. There's no, 
big management firm. Uh, my manager is uh, was was my my manager now started as be, as being the first employee I ever hired, and it was mainly because he was a fan and he started that way and he really barged in the door. So James Rhodes is 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 my main man here on this side of things for me, and he. He barged his way in and was like, man, I love your music. Is there anything you can, I could do for you? And I was like, no, no, I've built this and I'm really protective of it. So I don't want anybody messing this up. I'll take care of it. And over time I started just giving him little things to do and he would just kill it. He would just, he would take it and multiply it times 10. I was like, wow, okay, that was pretty cool. Or how about this? Take this. And over time he grew into a position where he ended up helping the ideas formulate, like I needed somebody to bounce these ideas off of and really the idea fixed and taking what, what I was doing, uh, distribution wise and everything else from my own career and passing that along to other artists. And really we just started building this whole, this whole concept of, of the label and, and figuring out, okay, we don't know how to manufacture merch. Okay. So how do we do that? We just started figuring that out and figuring out how to what what are the distribution situations and and all of that kind of stuff? So yeah, o over the years I've built um, I've built a system that is completely self reliant and 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 I've built income streams that aggregate to a living. So the an artist like Blue Stolly, who is the the kind of the premier artist on fixed, he's he's the artist that I signed that has really performed the the best. He's the closest to me as far as like performance. I mean, his song Ultranum, for instance, on Spotify alone has over 9 million streams, which, you know, I think, I think last time we checked had more streams than head like a hole from nine inch nails, but everybody knows who nine inch nails is. And most people don't even know who blue Stolly is, but yet he's streaming. He's got more streams on his songs than major artists. And so him as an example, when he came to me, he was another guy who was like, Hey, I'd love to make music for a living. And I heard potential in his music, but I was like, ah, I don't know if I really want to let anybody in here. I finally embraced that fact. I brought him in and he was working a day job. I mean, he was slinging coffee at like basically the equivalent of a Starbucks. And over time, I was like, this kid is too talented to be slinging coffee and then trying to make music in, you know, in between hours. And I just started advancing him money and saying, I'm going to teach you how to produce and you are going to come directly under my wing. And here's money that's going to keep you alive for right now so that you're not slinging coffee. You're full time on music. And that's how we started. And now that has grown into a career where he's landing tons of licenses in film, TV, and video games um, the same way I was and now even beyond what I was doing. Um, and so we, we took the paradigm, the, the protocols that we built for Cell Dweller, for me, and applied them to his career and watched it grow. And, you know, we've tried this with some other artists that we've signed and it didn't work. So – you know that it doesn't I, we don't have this cookie cutter thing and we just plug anybody in and it works you have to be a good artist and you have to hustle you know we're in a, we're in a day and age where the idea of getting a record deal and sitting back as an artist and waiting for the money to come to you good luck man that was the 80s and, and and it's over it's done that doesn't it doesn't work anymore you as the artist you need to hustle just as hard as your label your label should provide opportunities for you that you may not have on your own or may not want to deal with on your own but you need to be out there promoting yourself being on social media, being accessible to your fans, and all of these things aggregate to a career. Like you're getting a little bit of income from here, from here, from here. You're selling merchandise. You're streaming. You've got YouTube revenue. You're touring. Um, and, and you're getting licensing, uh, film, TV, and video games. All of that ends up becoming a monthly check that 
can provide a, a really great living if you if you follow the right path and are in the right situations. Let me ask you this because it's it's something that I find real fascinating about fixed is you you have you seem to have a lot of different income sources between the merch and streaming and album sales and all that but what is like well, I guess what is the thing that keeps the lights on the most is it the licensing because you have a ton of huge licensing deals that you land or at least I yes. I, I doubt people even know that I feel like you're one of those artists that a lot of people would be surprised that they've probably heard dozens of times already Exactly. That, that, that's the biggest insult and compliment that anybody pays me at the same time when they come up to me and, be, and they're like, how is it possible that I've never heard of you before? Because they're saying it in a complimentary way, like, you're way too good for me not to know who you are. But at the same time, they're telling me like, yeah, I've, ne I've never heard of you. I've, I don't know, you know, so it tells me like, I guess I'm not good enough that, you know, that I, I'm so widely known. But but it doesn't matter. I mean, the truth is that, yeah, people have probably heard me dozens of times you know, in Super Bowl TV spots and stuff. So it's watched by millions of people and they've heard my music blaring through maybe like a CSI promo or something like that. And they have no idea that it's my music up front and center. Um, but, you know, okay, so to answer your question, there was a time where I would have said film and TV licensing was what kept the lights on for me. And that tune has changed. And, and I'm actually really happy that it has, to be honest, um, because I was relying a lot more on that income to keep my lights on. And the paradigm has shifted. Film TV licensing is now a dime a dozen, man. Everybody and their grandmother. You can go online right now on YouTube and find 50 tutorials on how to make music for film and TV. So everybody, everybody is trying to make music in for, for film and TV, and they're trying to get it placed and licensed. And I see the hustle. I know guys that that's their full-time job. They're hustling to get stuff placed in film and TV. And I'm so glad that I don't do that hustle, man, because it, it's like a day job. It, it, it's a grind. Things have shifted for me. Spotify has become uh, a really big source of income, YouTube revenue, um, merchandise. Me, for me as an artist, my artistic endeavors are what keeps my lights on. I am making the most money doing whatever I want. I'm making the most money saying, you know what? I feel like making 80s new wave. I've wanted to make 80s new wave since the 80s. So I'm going to create this project called Scandroid, which I did in 2013. And I'm going to start making 80s new wave music. And then this synth wave scene in the underground happened to be going on at the same time. And I realized there were other artists doing this. And I just released my debut album in November. And here we are four or five months later, and, and the, the album on YouTube already has over a million streams on the full album all, all by itself, just, just in one place. That's just on YouTube. So I am fortunate that I go, okay, I'm going to think these things up out of my head and put them out into the world. And people are going to go, I like this enough that I want to give you some of my hard-earned money because I love what you do. So I, you know, I, am, uh, I am a huge proponent. And, and again, I don't think this applies to everyone. It, it, does, it is contingent on the person and the artist, but I'm a huge proponent for being an artist, being true to yourself. Don't be anybody else. And, you know, these are some of the chats I've had with Brett, who is Blue Stolly recently, because um, he's about to start on his next album. And I'm just reinforcing in his, in, in his mind, because sometimes even as artists, we need to hear it ourselves. Like, just do what you want to do. And don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Just do what you want to do and you will build a successful career off of that, being true to what you want to do and being unique and doing something that is not easily replicatable. Like you're not like on, on this label, we don't, we don't make music that is <laughs> that someone can just listen 
deconstruct and then, you know, I- imitate. I- I've had friends tell me they've even tried. They're like, yeah, I pulled up your albums, tried to try to do what you do. And I end up getting really frustrated and just trashing my session and giving up. So, you know, just be unique. And I think, you know, you have a, a much better shot at actually building your artist career as the thing that is generating the most money for you. I think the licensing still is part of that aggregate uh, income, uh, of course, but really it comes down to being creative and then your music, um, which includes streaming, physical media, merchandise, streaming, all of that stuff, which is directly related to the actual music that you made. And, and, and oftentimes even the licensing is all related to you just being an artist and doing what you do. And that, that, that's fortunately where I'm at in my career. Absolutely. I want to, I want to talk a little bit about how you, how you've made it last, because something that I find fascinating, even though I don't always get the music as uh, I can admit, like I, I love your YouTube channel. Okay. Um, the cell dweller one, and you have such a huge following. And you do the you do the ask cell dweller, and you do all this. So I guess for you, I'm sure people ask you this all the time, but like, how how have you been able to kind of forge this engagement with your fans? Because I was watching the latest Ask Clayton just the other day, and like, there's questions from all over the world. Like your your audience is everywhere, even though you don't necessarily tour all over the world. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so like, what do you owe that to or attribute that to your ability to kind of develop those relationships? Uh, God, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I, I, I honestly, I am amazed and I often tell this story, but here's an example of, of, of that. We get this tour offer. I say we, it was me. I get this tour offer as cell dweller to play in Russia for the first time in my life sometime in 2010, I think, or 2009. And I'm like, wow, I've never even been to Russia. I didn't even know I had a fan base in Russia. So they bring us over for a really short tour. And I say we because I brought Brett, who is Blue Stolly, the artist on my label. I asked him if he wanted to be part of my live show. So it was literally the two of us playing a bunch of different live instruments uh, live. And that was the Cell Dweller live show. So we we go over to Russia, and the first show was in St. Petersburg. And the show that night was Cell Dweller. There was no opening band. I wasn't opening for anybody. It was literally Cell Dweller was the only thing on the bill. And we're playing this venue, and I didn't see the venue. I don't even know what size venue it is. I'm assuming it's just a little hole in the wall. And I hear this noise of this crowd, and I'm like, what is that? You know, I thought maybe something was playing over the PA. Well, they announce us, and we walk out on the stage, and I almost – I almost, I almost stopped dead in my tracks because I looked out and I, I there was, there's a club here, you know, that I think capacity was a thousand people and it was packed, you know, nuts to butts in, in this place. And I, I was like, I have never promoted anything that I've done in Russia deliberately. I've never even realized I had a Russian fan base. And the first time I show up in this country, I, I've got like basically a sold out show, you know, the, for the very first show I've ever been in. So the, it really is... A, I, I don't know how that happened. I think it's a testament. Again, it comes back to making good art, make good art, you know, go watch Neil, Neil Gaiman's um, Notre Dame commencement speech. It's a, it's a popular one. It's all over YouTube. It's very inspirational, but it's just make good art, make good art and the people will come. And that was kind of how I built my career. I just did what I felt I needed to do. I can't cut corners. I just did what I felt was quality and what I would expect of any other artist I would want to listen to. And it just, it just spread. It's just, you know, putting it out on the web, 
why does anybody in Russia know who I am? Well, because the internet connected the world and people discovered it and started passing it on to their friends because the music meant something to them. So now all, all these years later, like the fan base that I have, they, I don't know. I don't, to be honest, I don't know why they want to hear me talk about my cat or watch what, you know, what, like look at what I'm eating for lunch or anything about my personal life, but they do. And I have, uh, you know, early on, I was not, I wasn't, I wouldn't say fan friendly, but I just, I'm an introvert. I'm not really inclined to be like, Hey, here's my face. Put me on camera. I don't really like that left to my own devices. I would just stay in my studio with the cameras off and no one would ever see me again. That would be fine by me. But I realized these people wanted to see what I was doing. They wanted to ha have communication with me. And as I would start talking back and forth, you know, mp3.com is a starting point, but then, but then, uh, uh, MySpace, that was when it really started taking off. I realized that I'm interacting with people all over the world and they are reacting to the fact that they're talking directly to me. Like they actually are appreciating this. And the other thing that I think is really important, um, if any other artists are listening is be careful what you cultivate in your fan base, because I have cultivated a no drama, no bullshit kind of like mentality when it comes to the way I approach my fans. I'm pretty cut and dry and I try not to pull any punches. I'm not lying about anything and I keep drama out of it. I'm not picking fights with other artists and I see other artists that do that. And then if you look at their fan base, all they have is mini, mini versions of themselves in their comments. And so they're breeding negativity in the way they're approaching the world. And that negativity is coming back to them because Half of the posts that they post, their own fans are bitching at them because they suck. I have a fan base and Blue Stolly has a fan base and other artists on my label have a fan base that like if someone was to say something negative, um, even if it's that they don't like the music, my you know, which is fine. If you don't like my music, I, I don't care. Uh, you know, I, to me, I don't think you need to waste your time or my time going off on a rant on my page about it. But hey, that's the world we live in. That's what people like to do. It makes them feel great about their own lives. I, I don't know why. But my fan base <laughs> will just jump in and and they'll handle the fight for me if there's even anything to fight. I mean, there's definitely people that you can tell they're trolls. They're in there to start. And man, it gets squashed so quickly because my fan base is protective of my career and my creativity. And it's, and it's, it's really awesome. There was, there was no mission. I never put them out, put, put a, put a mission out to them and said, you guys, you know, you guys have my back, right? Like just watch out for these people. I've never said a thing like that ever in my life. I just, I'm just being me. And I think people are taking ownership of the fact that they love the music and they love the art and therefore they're, they're protecting it without me having to even put a call to action. So I would just say, be careful what you breed. If you put out positivity. And, and believe me, I'm not like some new age guy and I'm just like, Oh, just think about it. It'll happen. But I'm just saying I've learned if you, if you are cool to your fans, your fans will be cool to you. That's just kind of, it's, you know, everyday life, man. If you're cool to people when you're out in public, for the most part, they'll be cool back. If you're kind of a dick, they're going to be a dick back. That's just kind of the way it works. So I would say, be careful of that when you are <laughs> you're looking at breeding, uh, uh, excuse me, when you're thinking, when you're thinking about cultivating your fan base. So what's what's next for you? Because I've been following all the videos. I know you've been tinkering around with some tech stuff. I saw how you uh, updated your old Mac, which made me laugh. I yes. had I had that same computer. Oh, I uh, love it. <laughs> but uh, so tell me first. Uh, first, tell me about the Circle of Dust documentary. How far is that along? 
That is, I mean, we are, we're down to, I think we've got about three or four more outstanding interviews to film, but for the most part, the content is there. We've got probably upwards of about 25 people uh, interviewed for this thing, which is amazing because this really started as just this really short, uh, you know, I'm going to show people some of the gear. I knew I was getting the rights back or I was potentially getting the rights back to these old albums, which is really the first time in over 20 years that I even cared about these albums because someone else has owned them. And so therefore I just, I detached myself from them. So when I realized that there's a chance I may be getting them back, I started cracking out this old gear and I called my video guy and I said, let's film some of this. I think this might be cool for some old school fans to see it thinking, you know, a hundred kids are going to care, right? Well, that turned into not me, not just me getting the rights back, re-releasing all five albums with a ton of bonus content. I mean, probably 15 or 20 CDs worth of music released last year just in my Circle of Dust back catalog, plus a brand new album, which is Machines of Our Disgrace. I did a whole new album in 2016 from scratch. So all that content came out, and this documentary, I realized – there was much more interest in this than I thought there was going to be. And so I started asking a few other friends like, Hey, do you want to jump in and just do an interview and just talk about your experience with circle of dust and why, why it meant anything to you. And then that one thing led to another. And before you knew it, we had dozens of people uh, being interviewed for this thing. So we're, we're probably about halfway done with the edit. I'm hoping that it'll be out uh, late summer. I mean, no promises, but that's the plan. Um, and that's one of the that's one of the many things that I actually have going on. But that's that's the status of of that particular uh, that particular thing. And uh, the Cell Dweller record you just finished? Uh, I just finished up a brand new album called Off World, and and I just get in this mode every winter where it's just like I I go into melancholy mode. I mean, I'm generally inclined to be melancholy anyway, but winter especially. And for some reason, I just started writing these songs that were similar to uh, songs that I have on my main cell dweller albums, but they would end up being the slower songs, the more emotive, uh, emotional kind of stuff. And I just, somewhere along the way, I was like, you know what? I was going to do this EP and just call it Off World and just call this little Off World EP of just these kind of like, basically an album of feels. It's just like emotional, kind of down-tempo, chill-out music. And when I say chill-out, I don't mean just like space music. I mean, these are songs. It's all, it's completely vocal. Um... And it is more relying actually on organic stuff this time around than, than synthetic. So there are synths and stuff like that and electronics on this album, but a lot of it was more based in on guitars and pianos and strings and things like that. So it ended up turning from an EP into a full album. So that, that album is done, wrapped up, uh, and I'm about to announce – I'm about to make an announcement about that album in the next few weeks. Well, I'm so, looking forward to it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it will be it 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 will be. I, I will say it, it would be a departure, but it's really not a departure. It definitely relates to Cell Dweller albums proper. But if people are expecting big, heavy guitars and screaming, this is not the album for that. And this is really meant to be an album of feels. I'm already I already put out a single called Electric Eye, which is a big drum and bass metal track um, that just dropped a few weeks ago. So that is what more people would expect from Cell Dweller. And I'm working on the next Cell Dweller album soon. I'm, I'm actually working on a new Scandroid album right now, which I'm really excited about because uh, I get to play with a lot of synthesizers. So that's in the works, and I'm hoping that will come out um, sometime this fall. And then I'll be working on a new Cell Dweller album as well, which will be the big guitars and the big synths and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, a couple of other things I have slated for this year. Again, what I'm going to get to remains to be seen, but um, 
I plan on doing a video tutorial series, uh, kind of like a masterclass kind of thing on how I produce. I realized that a lot of the people that follow me, and like you mentioned on my YouTube channel, these people that are tuning in and watching me talk about gear and music, there's other producers, a lot of other producers apparently that want to know how I do what I do. And again, I don't think about me doing anything special when I produce. That's just what I do. So when there's enough people saying, man, how do you do this or how do you do that? Internally, we started talking about, well, maybe we should film this and actually do a a, a video course and, and make that available to the world. And I may end up doing multiple courses, but that that I'm hoping to do for later this year. Um, I do have a hardware software company called Refractor Audio. Um, I've released uh, a software instrument called Transport, which is out now. I have a number of sample packs, which are available right now. All of this is at refractoraudio.com. And uh, I've been developing hardware for four or five years, and it's kind of been on and off, and I've gotten engineers and lost engineers and gotten engineers and lost engineers. And I have a new engineer right now, and, and I'm currently working on a synthesizer idea uh, along with a few other things. But I, I, it's way too early for me to have anything to report on that. Uh, but I can tell you the sample packs are definitely out and available. So that's, that's the real deal. But the hardware is kind of in development right now. Um, and I'm super excited about it. But again, until, until it actually materializes it, that, that, that's when I'll actually talk about it publicly. Um, well, no, man, it seems like you're busy always. I'm, yeah, I, I am. And I'm, I'm glad because I, I really don't want to be bored. So <laughs> it, it works out. For me. Well, I appreciate you sharing some of your insight with me. I, I really like what you do, but what I always find more interesting is how, sometimes I feel like fixed and everything you do exists in this bubble where you kind of get to live the life that a lot of artists aspire to, where they're self-sufficient and they control everything. But because of maybe how you rose to that position through licensing and everything, not everyone knows your name despite you being really successful. Yeah. And that is, yeah, those are the pros and the cons. And, <laughs> and to be honest, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I, I don't care about success. I don't, I don't want to be famous. I don't want to have to go to a grocery store and have to sign 20 autographs. I don't, I don't care about that stuff at all. I do really care about making good art and having people, having it, having it be meaningful to people. So I'm glad that I'm in the position I'm in and I do realize that I am in a fortunate place, but I'm not here by accident and I'm not here because I got quote unquote lucky. There was a lot of hard work and even through the failures, you keep pushing through, man, face down, pushing through. And, uh, and then th that's what I kind of attribute my success to is just don't give up. Well, I wish you the best in everything moving forward, and hopefully, once you get some of these projects, uh, you know, completed, we can talk about them again. Because I'm real interested, especially in this documentary. So I'm excited to see what comes next. Okay, great. Yeah, that'll be coming out later this summer. So I, I, I'm more than happy to jump on. And <laughs> as, you, as you noticed, I did the predominantly, uh, I did the predominant amount of talking during the. That's how I like it. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so if you need somebody to fill up a bunch of space, I'm your man, and I, I'll just keep talking until you tell me to shut up. So, well, I mean, people get to hear me every week; they only get to hear you on this episode. So, you know, you <laughs> well, I hope the they, hope they enjoyed it. <laughs> All right, what's the easiest place to keep up with everything you have going on? I know you have channels for everything, but like, is there a um, main the, one? The, the central place for all of my projects that you'll find the most relevant information would be Clayton.info. So that's K-L-A-Y-T-O-N.info. And there's information about all three musical projects, which are Cell Dweller, Scandroid, and Circle of Dust. My licensing stuff is on there, stuff about refractor audio. Um, you know, I didn't even talk about the fact that I'm wrapping up uh, work on the Transformers score right now, the new Transformers there you go. movie. So I, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's going on, but you won't even know about those updates unless you actually check in. Cause I'm not really, you know, um, I'm active on Instagram. I'm active on Twitter. Um, 
So, you know, Facebook as well. And all of those pretty much are back, back slash, or slash uh, cell dweller. Instagram is slash Clayton cell dweller if you're interested in that. And then Insta, Twitter and uh, Facebook are slash cell dweller. So if you want to look me up there, go for it. You have a great day, Clayton. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, James. Yep. Thanks. All right. Bye.